Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an American woman said God sent her to Uganda to feed malnourished children. Did she do more harm than good? We'll talk about Savior Complex from HBO Documentaries. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Jumbo, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Kevin... Yeah, uh, this is Monday's podcast. Yes, it is. What is coming up on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast, The Shell Lake Massacre. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to discuss before we get going with the show? Yeah, I want to thank everybody. This happened um, just a, a little while ago, but we weren't uh, recording immediately after uh, it happened. Anyway, the Walk a Mile in Their Shoes, I was, again, the number one fundraiser. Thanks to all the folks at Crime Writers On. Remember, this is a fundraiser where we are raising money for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. They provide services to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, folks at risk and in need. And uh, I was able to raise $4,251.15. Yay. Nice. which uh, I I raised more money, and I always like I raised. I mean, it was just like you guys put it out there. You guys came through. Uh, I, I ra- gave you a hundred bucks. Yeah, I raised more money of than your a money? bunch of, than almost all the other teams. Yeah, just myself. I should be my own team. Yeah, but See, how much did your team raise? Your team raised like eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, money, right. Yeah, we, we we raised a big chunk of of the goal, and I want to thank. And as I promised, I wanted to th- uh, give everybody a shout out right now. Megan Cook, Rachel Harrison, Kelly Middlemas, Karen Clark, Kathy Coner, Jennifer Hilton, Elizabeth Garner, Haley Rumback, Bridget Cowan, Jamie Sakura, Sheila Bailey, Deborah Weithup, Lori Collins, Chris Joyner, Jasmine Lushke, Kimberly Fisher, Chloe Young, Jessica Galvin, Michelle Briffitt, Becca Gellner, my mom, Leroy Smith, Mimi Bristol, Tracy Hansen, Meg May, Brandon Blair, my mom's friend Joan, Dan Suther, <laughs> Abby Jahoski, Michaela Mucci, Ida Nimur, Lindsay Marsh, Kathleen Doolin, Angela Albright, Emily Bonahan, Laura Linden, James Parent, Jill Martin, Elaine Horn, Leslie Besick, Anchaga, Carolyn Oyerly, Jen Maracucci, Toby Ball, Caitlin Gemmel, Tony Flanagan, Melissa Heidenfeld, Shannon Havenhill, Melissa Root, Jamie Piscatelli, Lauren Thomas, Beth Baldwin, Mary Riley, Lauren Hopkins, Rachel Acosta, Carolyn Poor, Jennifer Edwards, Samantha Leaf, Tayari Jones, Melissa Peck, Ben Dibble, June Johnson, Rebecca Shackelford, Ann Rogers, Ariel Nissenblatt, Brooke Vanderford, Heather Hill, Susan Hall, Joanne Huffman, Keith Livingston, Melanie Coleman, Robert Zimmerman, Kylie McElvin, Kerry Rourke, Merritt Fowler, Clancy Stein, Liz Cracciolo, Kerry Sharp, Jeff Brumley, Austin Wolfolk, Hillary Cashmere, Emily Madland, and eight anonymous donors. Where's me? 
You were among the anonymous, I think. I uh, know. You didn't put your name on, down in the thing. <laughs> and Rebecca Lavoy. <laughs> hey, I was able to squeeze all that into 61 seconds. That's so. incredible. How many names was that in 61 seconds? I don't know. It was a lot of names. That was a good cut. It's a lot of fucking names. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Really appreciate that. Um, it all goes to a good cause. And uh, hopefully, again, we'll do it next year. That was a very good cut. I forgot to mention that the whole thing was I was going to walk a mile, and I go, wink, wink, mile, in a pair of high heel shoes. And I still have not... Ladies, I have not got that down yet. It's still, it hurts my calves, I, everything. Listen, you I didn't, didn't look, even stand for a look time. nearly as stupid as our friend Rob, yeah. who's on, on video. He looks like he's wearing uh, ski boots for the first time. It's oh, ridiculous. Yeah. It's pretty good, though. Yeah. So thanks, good. everybody. And Toby, thank you very much for um, contributing. It was a lot of fun. And thanks uh, to my TV hero, Sean McDonald, for letting me meet you in person and Sean taking a picture McDonald. with me. Yeah. Oh. Was he wearing heels? He no. was not wearing heels. Nope. He looked very he looked very disturbed to be talking to Rebecca Lavoy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, I said, I'm a fan. I've talked about you on the podcast. And he said, Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> 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 but then today he he posted a photo of us together on Twitter and I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm just ribbing Kevin when I'm talking about how cute you are on the podcast. And he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Neither of us believe that. No, he was lovely. He's really, really sweet. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for making that cut so efficient. Yeah, sure. I'm going to look up the picture now of you and Sean McDonald. Oh, look. <laughs> yeah. Perks of the job, hanging out with podcast guru Rebecca Lavoy. He does look a little bit nervous though, in that <laughs> smile. <laughs> like, it's like he's like, yeah. yeah. He has his arm around <laughs> me and his hand is actually floating over my shoulder a little bit. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, we have a, a pretty, pretty deep topic to talk about tonight. A, a documentary that I think got us all a little bit riled up. So, Kevin, should we get to it? Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now and start that discussion. Leading off. Whether it's true or not, people 110% believe that I went to Uganda to help people and in turn, I just killed people instead. In 2009, 19-year-old Renee Bach said the Lord called her to go to Uganda and establish a charity to feed the hungry. But the Serving His Children clinic morphed into an intensive care unit for gravely malnourished babies and toddlers. Her work attracted Christian donors and filled her social media feed. You never say no white people. You just know you shouldn't be the hero of the story. But Bach became the target of Ugandan activists opposed to white missionaries using African children as props for their own agendas. And observers noted why starving babies continued to die at her clinic. Bach was personally directing the children's care, even though she had no medical training. I think Renee bought into a fantasy that she was ordained and special and set apart and that she was just naturally a doctor. Savior Complex from HBO Documentaries uses video of the clinic shot by Bach to tell a story of white privilege and religious hubris. It also follows local activists drumming up opposition to Bach and other Westerners more interested in grabbing the spotlight than providing humanitarian relief. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Savior Complex. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down. Reviews. 
So, Toby, I thought this documentary was incredibly balanced insofar as that it had pretty much every source you could want to have in a documentary like this. I mean, how how did you feel about in terms of representing the different sides of the story and Savior Complex? Yeah, I mean, I thought they did a remarkably good job. I, I, I think you do kind of fall into camps when you when you watch this, but I think it would be easy to put your finger on the scale here. And I think they are really good about not doing that to the point of, I think, given Renee about as good a sort of explanation. And I guess it's not the point of the show, but but they do show the argument that could be made that, you know, her outcomes were not that different from the outcomes in, in, in local hospitals. So the idea that, you know, she had this nonprofit that was killing children, essentially, is not necessarily fair. That's not necessarily what I think is the problem with what's going on. But he does allow her to make the counter arguments, the accusations against her, and also show, you know, data that kind of back up some of her uh, rebuttals. Her her data, by the way, which is very interesting. And I just want to address that really quickly because they, they do trot out these percentages, Renee and her mother, about the lower percentage of children dying in their care than in hospitals. But what they don't talk about is that what their nonprofit was set up to do was to take children in after they had been to the hospital. And what they were instead doing was directly admitting children instead of taking in children after they had been to the hospital. So they weren't actually doing what it was they were intended to do. So to compare them to a hospital was actually kind of a strange data point. And that happened a few times. Well, let's give some dice, Pam, because I think he's seizing. You're looking for a gentleman? No. We stop seizing. It's like diazepam, but it's not. It's not even eight. Okay, No. And also, by the way, a hospital would not post a quote throwback Thursday Instagram post about a child who had died at their facility. That was the hashtag in one of those. Yeah. So that would that would not be a thing that a hospital in Uganda would do. Um, so, Kevin, how did you think about the order in which the story was told? Because they do so they they do let Renee open. Mm-hmm. The documentary, and then they also sort of paint it as no white saviors, you know, as this. They put that right at the beginning, which yeah, is that's, very one kind of point of yeah. view of no white saviors. Well, I thought it was good that they brought in the organization No White Saviors kind of early on because, you know, chronologically, they don't really play a role till like it would be the beginning of episode three or like towards the end of episode three. And then it's like, if that had happened, you would have spent all this time kind of watching her do this work without this this context right up front, which happens to be about white people coming in and cosplaying uh, among uh, African children as a humanitarian. And there's, you know, photos of celebrities like posing with indigenous people who are impoverished. And it's a lot like, you know, the college essay trope, like I went to Africa to change them, but they really changed me, you know, like that stupid shit. But by putting a no white saviors up front, it gave us this this context to start thinking immediately about what Renee is doing. So you you are dubious the whole time as opposed to getting, you know, pumped up rah rah. She's doing all this great work for two episodes and then have it turn on its head. I like that context right up front. I mean, I think we have to talk more about the group uh, itself a little later on and about its curious staffing, but well, uh, yes, and their exaggeration of things, which like was not was not yeah, good for I mean, them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. I would like to get into that, but I don't know if that's like the first thing we should be hitting well, up on. We could talk about their curious staffing. I mean, it can't go without yeah. notice, Laura, that a white 
Savior is one of the lead leaders of white saviors. No and, white saviors. Yeah. <laughs> no white saviors. And, you know, her story initially is that she used to be one of these white saviors and now she's a reformed white savior. So she's co-founded this group, No White Saviors. So she's saving the white saviors from the white saviors. Yeah. That's still being a savior. You know what sucks? It's like the boy who cried wolf. When um, people ruin accountability culture with uh, something this messy, because there's real evil people that need this type of accountability to happen. And she's also, I think, right from the front, Laura, the most like to the Ugandans on the calls, the most outspoken. She interrupts them constantly. (laughs) She's I mean, what was what was your initial take of Kelsey like from the beginning of this documentary? You know, it's it's hard. I think that her, the way that her personality came through really kind of rubbed you the wrong way because she's so forceful when you think about her being in there. Like there was no gray in the way that she was approaching her desire to do what she thought she was doing with her reformed white savior persona. It was like black and white. And I think that really came to the forefront for me, like as an example, when you have the mother of the girl, um, Patricia, who had the flesh eating like necrosis, like bacteria, like her, her cheek was like basically, you know, being eaten by this flesh eating bacteria. And they go to speak to the mother and the mother is saying actually that Renee was so caring and so helpful, but that didn't necessarily fit the narrative that this other woman had. And so they just continued doing this social media posting despite getting a different response from the family of the girl. So I feel like I understand where she was coming from, but just the way that she was presented was not necessarily somebody, if you're watching it, like you said, cutting people off and dominating all of the meeting and dominating the messaging doesn't come across to me as somebody who sincerely wants to take a step back and evaluate their role. She's just taking over in a different way, in the same way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it does. Toby, what are your thoughts there on um, on Kelsey and, you know, what your impressions are of, of that group from the beginning and sort of the way that evolves the documentary? Yeah, you know, I, as the documentary went on and I was taking notes, I kept I took a lot of notes about how Kelsey seemed pretty problematic to me. Um, you know, you can see from her personality, like how she would have embraced, you know, the, the white savior thing to begin with. And then she becomes an apostate, right? I mean, she, she kind of sees the, what she perceives to be the error of her ways and becomes equally certain and forceful and I think sort of not self-reflective about the way she's coming across in fighting against this. It's sort of this drama that's, that's played out by these young white women in Africa. And it's like the people who they're actually among are sort of bit players in this sort of moral drama that they're playing with themselves and then projecting, you know, I, I another kind of interesting thing that comes up in this is just, how important social media is to all this because they're turning it into money, right? It's like the social media presence turns into donations. So there is this thing with Kelsey where the, the lawyer who ends up representing these two women whose, whose children died when they're being uh, treated at Renee's clinic. And the lawyer says, 
no white saviors and and I have sort of different goals here, right? And so the no white saviors, it's we want to create content so we can get more money to come in so we can continue to kind of fight these battles, like the actual sort of legal niceties and you know, wh- whatever kind of justice kind of comes out of it is sort of secondary to what we can kind of claim as a victory on social yeah. media. Taking down Renee is their is their goal, like taking down Renee, like destroying Renee. But they they're, they're missing the point. And by the way, I'm not saying it's wrong to take down Renee <laughs> at all, but they're missing the point of what what taking down Renee means. And it's just about taking down Renee. That becomes the point just for taking down Renee's sake. Yeah. The irony here is that it's almost like a microcosm of what the issue is. It's there are white foreigners that come in and they have resources that the indigenous people want or or need. And so there is a need to acquiesce. And even within no white saviors which doesn't sound like um, they are wallflowers of an advocacy movement, right? They don't care about being impolite. They're going right after it. This is what we want. And yet still, the optics are, here's our leadership team, and we have a white woman on it because we need a white woman. Or the white woman is going to be bringing something that we don't have access to or we can't get on our own, and it's just really problematic. Someone had a really great quote about, like, it's okay for white people to get involved, to lend a hand, it's needed, but don't put yourself at the center of the story. And I felt like in a different way, Kelsey was doing that. And last thing I'll say about Kelsey is that I felt like she was the one driving a lot of the sensational messaging. And it's just, it becomes an unforced error because you don't need to make off that Renee was doing Nazi-like experiments on hundreds of children because what she was doing was troubling enough and when you oversell it you end up giving renee's um advocates talking points about no it's you know that's ridiculous and all this other stuff and then you then as opposed to them having to defend what she actually did you can talk about the lies the lies and how crazy you are the crop photos and yeah that that kind of thing you know it's like just it's an unforced error it's not necessary and you know the antagonism that she put into it it did seem like it, it got personal i feel like we spent all this time talking about kelsey oh we're gonna get to renee don't worry she's like 5% 5% as problematic as Renee is. I mean, it's just, there, there's no comparison in my mind between what the two are doing. But I, you know, Renee and her mother, I think both somebody will accuse them of something and they will blow it to like the biggest extreme. And then they will sort of counter that extreme. So somebody will be like, well, you know, babies died because they weren't getting the right metal or because Renee was prescribing something. She's not an actual doctor. She's like, they're saying that I intentionally killed hundreds of babies when I was working there. And that's just ridiculous. It's like, no, I mean, these are like very legitimate and troubling concerns. And you trying to turn these concerns into a caricature of or caricature, whatever the one of my words um, of, of what was actually said, you know, it's just like, it's a stupid argument uh, strategy but it sort of shows the same seriousness that you that you took with everything else, which is I'm going to go ahead and do this stuff because I, you know, I'm right. I am righteous. And in her case, she's a missionary. She does talk about how she feels God is telling her what to do. So it's it's really quite something. 
The other thing that she'll do is she'll say, I never claim to be have any medical skills or maybe a medical professional, but then we'll see her in the field with a stethoscope around her neck saying that she has medical skills and, and planning to, to have, med- it's like, there's a lot of contradictions there depending on who she's talking to. And and I do think it's interesting that the filmmakers do catch her in a couple of untruths a couple of times during the documentary. But Renee is obviously the center of this. And I do think that, as we said, the documentary does give her a chance to speak for herself and Laura, I think I'm just going to say it. You probably have the most charitable view of her of the four of us after reading your notes. So I'm going to give okay. you a chance to give your charitable <laughs> point of view of her. And then we can politely disagree with you. Um, so go ahead. Uh, let it rip, Laura. Well, I, you know, I think what I liked about this documentary is it did present both sides. And I'm not saying I'm excusing what she did and the way she acted, but the way that it was portrayed, I felt like she was just very naive. I feel empathy for her in that way because I think she was naive in her desire to help people. She didn't really even understand what was wrong about what she was doing. I think, you know, it was more recklessly doing things than knowingly doing things. Like if you're looking at her mindset of what she was doing, because I don't think she even understood in her view of the world what she was doing was wrong. I could see she's here, she's in, and I'm, and I'm trying to look at it from both sides in this because she shouldn't have been performing medical procedures. But I'm looking at it like, okay, here she is. She's this girl from, where is she from? Like Virginia. God has called her. She's in a country with extreme poverty. There's no services Children aren't eating. There's limited medical facilities. And I could see how in that situation, she's thinking, oh my gosh, well, what I'm doing is going to help in this situation. So yes, now looking at it, you're like, no, she was obviously doing things she shouldn't have been doing. She shouldn't have been administering medications. She had an actual registered nurse come in and tell her about some of the dangers of refeeding syndrome. She should have been listening to people that knew what was going. But I could see, I guess what I'm saying is I can see how this happened to her. And I can see how she ended up in this situation by her own naive outlook on life. I mean, she was, what, wasn't she homeschooled or something? And then she gets, and, and I just feel like I can see how it landed where it did for her. Um, and I'm not excusing what she did, but I can see how her logic And her desire to help led her to where she ended up, if that makes sense. She was certainly enabled and financed by her parents, right, Kevin? Oh, my goodness. So if you want to talk about white privilege, which is a theme here, you might say that the height of white privilege is to be 19 years old and to say, you know what? I think I'm the person who should go to Uganda and set up a charity as opposed to adopt a baby. And it's, oh, my God, adopt a baby. Okay, I don't even want to talk about that. But as opposed to like, how about you go and work for a charitable organization or work for an NGO and learn these things and contribute? You might think that is the height of white. Go to a medical training school. You might think that that alone is the height of white privilege. But the height of white privilege is going to do that and having your parents and all their rich evangelical friends send money so that you can do that. Right. So anyway, I guess I'm the one who should probably not cast the first stone because (laughs) I would like you all 
to send us money. <laughs> no, no. They're what? actually paying for something valuable. They're not just sending us money. That's not right. Uh, I guess, well, I mean, you don't think like the opportunity to like blow up your social media feed with photos oh, no. of all your Patreon content? I know. No? You know, you're not, you're not even allowed on Facebook right now, so you can't even do that. Oh my God. Okay, that's a story for the after show. Yes. And if you want to hear it, you're going to have to subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show where I will explain. Daddy's been banned. Why I've been Facebook prison Hell. for the next couple Purgatory. of weeks. I actually don't even know how I got there. And we're going to get a yet another update. Speaking of missionary, <laughs> Laura's sex book oh, that she wow. has been reading. She thought this was going so to be a fun chicken noodle soup for the soul kind of read that she recommended to everybody. And apparently it's dirty as hell and we cannot get enough of not only what happens, <laughs> Laura but Laura's reactions. Yes, Laura's <laughs> Laura she does a have a cat named Rocky Flintstone. I know. Yes, Laura I read did. I listened to a porno, Rebecca. Yeah. Wow. Laura, Laura listened to a porno. Which is the absolute worst way to consume a porno. I also, in the after show, have a book recommendation that I am dying to tell our listeners about. Well, no one's going to care. Uh, hey! <laughs> I meant... Hey! Uh, I didn't mean, mean. no one's going to care. They're going to care. They it's will good care. All Actually, right. I think it would be good for your book club, Toby. Yeah, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Uh, tonight, Toby is getting together to record the next edition, and it's more like a political true crime thriller, conspiracy thriller, right, Toby? Yeah, it's called Death on W Street. It's about Seth Rich, uh, who was a DNC staffer who uh, was murdered uh, in the wee hours of the morning in a Capitol Hill neighborhood and then became uh, the subject of these insane conspiracy theories that he was involved with uh, leaking Hillary Clinton's emails to uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. And it just kind of goes into the sort of conspiracy theories and, and, and the way Seth Rich's parents were trying to handle the situation. It's it's interesting and it, it kind of talks to like our current state of play in politics. Hmm. Other things you can get, like we have over 400 exclusive podcasts at Patreon. Yep. You can also get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast and you can get our Married With podcast where we dispense advice. Yep. Coming up on the next Married With podcast, someone asks the question. What happens when I lose interest in having sex? Is that the question? There's a, there's a question like that, yes, and I, I can't wait to answer it. Oh, okay. I was I was going to talk about the one where they asked about feet. Oh, no, not about that About sexy one. feet? No. Okay. Anyway, if you want to get in on that, join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Listen, everyone's always asking where can they hear the real talk, like the real Rebecca Lavoy tea. It's back there. It's at patreon.com. Slash Partners in Crime Media. That's where you will find it. That is where you will find it. All right, Kevin, does that end the business section? Yeah, go ahead and fade that music out right now. Let me get that done. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, so before the break, Toby, we were talking about Renee. And 
Obviously, she goes in with a lot of hubris. And yes, no white saviors did, in fact, crop uh, some video into a photo that made her look even worse than she was. But I don't think that you can make her look worse than she was. She was, in fact, putting an IV into a child's head when she was not qualified to do so. Um, Just because she's surrounded by a nurse and a doctor. I'm not necessarily uh, legit with the fact that that excuses it. But um, can you talk a little bit about what you think were the foundations of that situation? Because it is a complicated foundation upon which a 19-year-old can, in fact, go on what is basically a church mission trip and then set roots in Uganda and start a nonprofit and then basically set up a hospital in a house. Right. So I, I think they do a good job. The first time you kind of hear about this is a doctor who's working at the hospital in Jinja, which is the sort of town or city where a lot of these missionaries come in and, and begin their work. And he kind of talks about how, you know, we do need resources, right? When we started to work with Rene Batch, we didn't know it would escalate into this that she would have built an ICU in her setup. DIY, is that, is that what we call it? That is where we got challenges. They're in this kind of situation where having the, the monetary resources coming in is sort of vital, but you also have a situation in which the white person coming in with the money has sort of control over how they want to spend it, right? So she starts off by trying to feed children. Like she identifies hunger as being a big issue. So she sets up a thing where she's going to feed children rather than work with the community and having them kind of help and sort of integrate it. She ends up in this big house that, as I remember, has walls around it. And she invites the children to come in, feeds them. They all have to say a prayer before they eat. And, and so it's, it's separate. It's like she is giving the food to these kids. She is not helping the community uh, give the food to the, to the kids. As things go on, she, she realizes that a lot of these severely malnourished kids actually need medical help. And the idea, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, is that the, actually the hospital was going to treat them. And then her um, nonprofit was going to kind of be like, Sort of a recovery center, like a or rehab something center, center. Yeah, like right? Rehab. Yeah, like yeah. help them gain weight after they left right. the hospital. Yeah, uh, but the hospital gets overwhelmed, uh, and and she starts taking in people. But then she goes and actively recruits them. Right? You see, you actually see video of her and a team with photographers, of course, because you're trying to create content while you're doing this, going off talking to people, taking kids back to be treated. They talk about how there's this. One room, I think they call it the red room, where the severely like sort of on the verge of death kids go and they, they don't tend to last very long. Um, you know, there is kind of a creeping thing. And I, and I think at the beginning, what she was trying to accomplish was probably within her skill set or whatever was was. I think the idea that you're going to do it separately from the community is not the right way of doing it. But at least she was just serving food. And she wasn't getting into this thing where she's playing doctor, right? I mean, there's no other way of looking at it. And while I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, like, would she go to like Appalachia or some other impoverished part of the United States and do the same stuff? I mean, I, I think there's no way in hell yeah. that that she would do that. Right. And just pretend to be a doctor. Right. Yeah. 
Well, the optics also wouldn't be as good, right? I mean, that's the whole point. The yeah. optics wouldn't be as stunning for her church members because she's tall, she's blonde. I mean, right. she sticks out in this community of people, she's right? She's got her, the look. Yeah, her clothing is very different. Like it would, it, the optics. I mean, that I mean, she's evangelized. Granted, well. th- yeah. there are also, you know, I think uh, more regulations in in the United States that would shut her down more quickly. Um, and there are obviously regulations in Uganda as well. But I don't, I don't think that that she would get the good content there that that she's looking for. No, but you guys are both right that like the 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 mothers and they put this out the mothers who come in with their sick sick children, they can't read. They're they're very poor, and what do they see? They see a white woman wearing a stethoscope. Right. So they assume that she is a doctor and she is in charge. And even a lot of her staff, the nurses who have medical training, seem to think that she has more training than she actually does. She's now the problem ends up being: look, I I can do first aid, right? Doesn't make me a surgeon. You know, if you're in a pinch, you got to help. And you would pick up things from watching people. If you, you know, you would also pick up perhaps how to do an IV. And everyone said, yeah, she learned how to do that. She doesn't have the training for that. But, you know. Army medics learn how to do things. Army, yeah, their exa- exactly. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like that, even though if it's, you know, it's not, it is a perpetual thing. But then she's like countermanding people's medical orders and, and things like that. That's really bad. It reminds me sort of this legal thought experiment that they have where it's like if a guy is falling out of a, from a skyscraper and you shoot a gun out the window and kill him before he hits the ground, did you commit murder? Right. And it's this debate thing. And it's like, yes, you did just be, you know, you're like, Oh, it was inevitable. He was going to die when he hit the ground. There's kind of like that here. He's like, well, a lot of these kids were going to die no matter what kind of medical attention they got in that moment. And maybe that's true, but you can't know that. You can't know that if they got no treatment, they probably would die. But if they got better treatment or they got the correct treatment, maybe they would. But you no know? one was going to raise money off of their and dead bodies. no one's going to raise money off of, yeah. Uh, if, if, if she, but so here's my question, Laura. This is what's interesting to me, was um, Nurse Jackie, the other evangelical woman who goes with her new husband to Uganda, very well-intentioned, thinking, I just got my RN, I'm going to go help, gets there, is immediately like, the fuck. Some of them are going to die no matter what. But like, oh my God, in my perspective... Kids are dying because things are, you know, she's doing things that she shouldn't be doing. And how do you walk away from that? First of all, I loved I loved this woman. I mean, obviously, sometimes I find evangelicals unrelatable personally, but the purpose she serves in the story is so interesting. And obviously, she says that she's looking at the entire thing very differently now. She also serves the purpose of showing us the enterprise behind these mission trips and behind these charities and we go to that convention where we see all of the tables set up it's like an industry convention where it's like come join it's like our a job thing fair. Yeah. It's a, yes but it's like there's real like this is an industry it's an industry of charities i looked at that and i was just like wow this is a whole part of like this that like we would never have seen Without this documentary, but also sort of Jackie sort of opens the curtain for that for us by by bringing us that perspective. What did you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're saying it's like a whole industry and and the religious component here, I mean, it's like I, for a while, long ago, I did some writing for this online news site and it was funded. It was a religious, I I didn't realize when I get into it, it was funded by a religious organization and 
It was all about disaster response. And I could not believe, I remember looking back now, the amount of faith-based disaster response organizations. And so I would cover anytime there was some sort of you know, hurricane, fire, flood, tornado, whatever. They'd send an ark. They, they would send like the Catholics with the Methodists, the, the evangelical, everybody, every denomination had their own group. Again, that was sending people into these, these places that have been hit by disasters. Where you see it kind of go off the rails is the level that we see it here with Renee. And obviously what happened with her organization in terms of just the funding that was there from the religious component, from the people that, you know, her, her family knew. And I think the, the good thing about Jackie being in there, you know, is that for everything that Renee did and things that she shouldn't be doing, this is very balanced to have somebody like Jackie who does have medical training and background counterbalancing like, well, actually, this is what I was looking up and this is what I was telling her. And so, yes, she sheds light into that bigger industry, but she also was a good point counterpoint as we were going through um, her own experience with realizing things weren't really being done the way they should be in the organization that Renee had set up. You know, Kevin and I uh, went on a trip about a year ago and we met an evangelical couple from South Carolina and we became very friendly with them on our trip. And I've actually stayed in touch with the wife ever since then. And the week before we had gone on this trip, they had um, been doing a project with their church where they were building houses um, in a, a community. They were, had been destroyed by a, a, um, a storm. And the way they described it was like, you just do things for people and you don't try to convert them. Like that's what, that's what we're all about. Right. And I'm like, damn it, Kevin, like, what are we doing last weekend? We were not doing that. Right. And like, and it really just got me thinking about like, that's what the kind of work that you think, like, that's what it should be. Right. And, um, and Toby, you had a note along those lines. Someone in the documentary said something along those lines. Right. So there's, you know, at one point they're showing, some of uh, uh, No White Savior's like literature. And I, I can't remember if it's like a PowerPoint or slides or something, but I was able to read and it was, it was something that said, basically, be a community organizer, not a savior, which seems right, right? I mean, you know, the obvious thing for Renee to do if she was really worried about malnourished children was to raise money and help fund the hospital to give the doctors and, and medical professionals the resources they needed to actually treat kids. It's not sexy. It's, you know, you don't get the same ego gratification as being the person who is like saving these kids. And, and you're probably not going to be able to like inject yourself into care, but you shouldn't be doing that anyway. So you can't really make these broad generalizations about missionaries. I mean, different mission groups do different things or whatever. I do think in this particular instance, uh, mostly with Renee, but also with uh, Kelsey, it, it seems as though, you know, they're trying to, I don't know if it find themselves is the right way of putting it, but they're trying to sort of establish something about themselves uh, in, in sort of a religious context in a place where they think that, they don't necessarily have to follow rules. Rules don't apply to them. And it kind of, you know, I think in, in uh, Renee's sense is like anything I'm doing is good, right? Because if I wasn't here, it wouldn't be getting done. So you can like bitch at me about the details, but you know, at least I'm here trying. 
and that's you know that's not good enough basically you know trying with with medical care for for malnourished babies like you, you got to know what you're doing and she Stakes showed no high. yeah again somebody mentions this in the thing it's like she didn't go get training she was just like yeah what i'm doing is there fine. Were youtube videos to look up <laughs> yeah exactly but even if she like paid attention to that yeah exactly uh forward to two minutes <laughs> See about the of, catheter. It's it's what really kind of troubling. What three G signal can you get? Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm Toby. I'm kind of reminded of my favorite line from T. S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral, where the Knight Templar says, "The last temptation is the worst treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason." And so I feel like she thought she was going to Africa to do good work, but she was really there to benefit herself. And a lot of these people, you're right, put themselves at the center of their stories when there are other ways that they can contribute and enhance the self-determination and dignity of the people who are there without coming in and saying, ah, thank God I'm here to save you people because, you know, I'm bringing my whiteness and whatever else that means. Um, Is it better than nothing? Uh, That's sort of like the, you know, one of the big questions here. You're right. It's not it's not good enough. But, you know, there were still a couple hundred kids that did walk out of that place. Would they have without her there? I don't know. I think that's part of what makes this really a compelling documentary. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Savior Complex from HBO Documentaries? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this three-part documentary? Yeah, I'm going thumbs up with this. I think this was a very well done documentary in the way that it was presented. It was very balanced so that we really got a sense of both sides of the issue, all of the different people that were involved. We didn't even get into talking too much about the human rights lawyer that we get to meet in this. I loved the type of work that she was doing. And I think this isn't a black and white story. And I think this documentary definitely shows the shades of gray in this story in a way that um, really you kind of leaves you kind of like afterwards, you're like still having kind of a lot of food for thought if that, and that's a weird way to describe it, but you know, still, there's still a lot to think about in this documentary when you're done because of the thoughtful way that it was put together. Plus it is the most unique B-roll to date. Cause there is a ton of horse scenes in it. Um, and <laughs> apropos of nothing, that's true. <laughs> I, being a horse person, I was like, Oh, look, they're lunging their horses again. So, um, I, I thought it was very well done. Tell you about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Savior Complex on HBO? Um, so I'm a big thumbs up on this. And I, I usually say I agree with Laura about this or that. In this case, I, I kind of disagree in that, you know, I think they do a good job of letting this woman, Renee, who set up this this clinic for malnourished children in uh, Uganda, they kind of give her a chance to make her best argument as to why what she was doing was fine or good or just or whatever. I have a hard time believing people, somebody can watch this and walk away feeling that in fact, what she did was justified or okay. Um, I think they complicate 
that argument a little bit by having a, a sort of foe for her who's a little over the top so that maybe you cut Renee a little bit of slack because of the people who are who are going after her aren't super sympathetic either. But it, it's a really, you know, it's nuanced. Uh, it's compelling. Like I said, it does it does give both sides a chance to air their views about what happened. But I think it's it's pretty clear what the right outcome is or, or should have been. Yeah, I, I just think it's, it's really well done. It's an important topic. I really liked it. I, I give it a, a big thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm, I'm going thumbs up. I think that, yeah, it, it raises all sorts of complications because you have a humanitarian crisis. I don't even, it's, it's hard to call it a crisis when it's just an ongoing situation. We think poverty, like in America, is bad. In this country, it is just so much worse where there's incredible food insecurity. The childhood mortality rate is just unimaginable. And so it's like any help will do. But then you think, will just any help do? Couldn't we do better? Are the people in this story, are the heroes also villains? Are the champions also detractors as well? It just, it just, it's very thought provoking. But, you know, in the end, I think you come down on, I think we walk away knowing what the right thing is. But we also know that, again, when you're talking about white saviorism, I mean, that's the title and that's really what it is. It's a hubris about, I know better or I am so special that I can do the thing that you cannot possibly do. And that is, in the end, more detrimental and does more harm, I think, than it does good. But it's still not clear cut. And that's why I like documentaries like this, because they're thought provoking. Thumbs up. Um, I loved this documentary. And I think that it's like a great legal case in that it starts, it, it, it presents a very accurate and balanced story where it shows you all of the pieces and then just a great closing argument that I walked away with just sort of no doubt on how I would vote as a juror. But along the way, it also shows you other forces at work just outside the circle. For instance, and this isn't a huge spoiler, so I'll just say it. There's an incredible lawyer character on the American side of the story whose specialty is like, being a lawyer for evangelical groups. And he himself is an evangelist who drives around in this like evangelical van. And, uh-huh. and, is, and it just, and you know, there's a, there's a conference and there's just like, there's all of these little pieces and you, and you, you just, you get immersed in a world in this documentary that you just, and, and that's only one piece of it that you just wouldn't have known about had you not watched this. It's just, you just, you're immersed in worlds that you just would never, ever, ever see uh, without a documentary that took the time to tell the story. That being said, it's not slow. It's beautifully edited. And there's an incredible amount of footage because these people take an incredible amount of footage of themselves. So you have great documentarians taking their own footage supplemented by Flynn's Law Bananas footage taken by both an activist group and the central figure herself who has documented her entire time doing this work and she is trying to make the case that what she's doing is the right thing to do. So it's just like, it's complete. 
Like you have everything you need in this thing. You have everything. And that's rare. Like very often you watch something and you're like, you know what I would have loved to have seen? I feel like I saw everything. Like it's great. Um, So yeah, I'm recommending this to everybody. If you haven't seen this, you should watch it. It's just great. It's spectacularly entertaining on top of being just incredibly good and important. So watch it. Watch Save Your Complex on HBO Documentaries. It's, It's freaking great. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, the, of week. the week. There's a new owner of Laura's favorite food stand in the Nottingham Goose Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's the most popular food stand at the Nottingham Goose Fair. Tom Smith has taken over the famous cock on a stick booth. Cock on a stick. 92-year-old Ray Brooks sold the stall that had been in his family for 100 years. That's a lot of cock. Generations of English fairgoers have enjoyed the colorful rooster-shaped toffee treat. All the cocks are white with a red stripe on top and a yellow stripe on the bottom. And the stick? Of course, that's for getting the cock in your mouth without making a mess all over your face. All of these cocks are pulled by hand. Smith says he's up all night pulling the cocks in his garage, and it's harder than it looks. Dolly's face. The Nottingham Goose Fair wrapped up last week, but if you go, just look for the cocks on stick <laughs> sign. You can buy a medium cock for two quid or get a giant cock for two fifty. <laughs> so panel, the English really love their cocks on sticks. What's the next bestseller at the Nottingham Goose Fair? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, badge on toast. Terry <laughs> <laughs> about what do you think is the next bestseller at the Nottingham Goose Fair? Well, you got to import it from Baltimore, but uh, vagina in a paper bag. <laughs> ah, some keepers, yeah. <laughs> but it has to be frozen. That's yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. What do you think, Kevin? Uh, it is the vertical roast beef panini. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. It's a visual, right? Yeah, that's a visual. All right. Well, yeah. All right. Well, you guys all went in one direction there, so I'm not just not going to try to derail that for you. So, uh, Laura Bricker. If folks want to reach out to you and ask you when you're flying to England to visit this food stand, how can they find you on social media? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And I did just send in my passport to get renewed, so it could be sooner than you think. I'll go with you, man. I'll go with you. <laughs> Toby Ball, folks want to find you on social media. How can you be found? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me everywhere, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. I tweet all the time. I'm on the other things, but I don't really use them. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and everywhere at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible, really healthy, and completely non-toxic, I swear, group. The Crime Writers On Facebook group is completely rad. We also have regular old Facebook page. Just go there, hit join the group. You will not regret it. Get episodes early and ad free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show married with podcast, Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also walk around with stethoscopes because it makes us look like we're wicked smat. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Savior Complex, or Savoir Complex. Oh, come on now. Just kidding. It's like the last week it was who killed Jan Dando. (laughs) I know. Okay. I'm just going to skip that. Cut that out.
Crime is in crime media. media.